Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dark Side of the Podcast. Of course, we're recapping every single week uh, the phenomenal series that airs Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern on Vice, Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, with us today, the two creators of that show, Evan and Jason. Guys, how are you? Good. What's going on? Not too bad. A little exhausted. Where I spent all night cutting the Herb Abrams episode, and I'm starting to feel like Herb Abrams a little bit. But <laughs> dude, uh, I, I just want to say really quickly that Jason's been editing this episode, you know, nonstop over the past like week, and his final ten minutes, I'd say, of the episode might be some of your best work, sir. Uh, oh, I couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. <laughs> thank you. Um, unbelievable. <laughs> Well, I've just been living it because, like, the I've been in quarantine for the past 14 days because mm. I came back to my hometown, Nova Scotia, to finish the editing of the show. And so I literally have just left my luggage by the door. I've been wearing the same clothes for multiple days, and I'm kind of feeling like the spirit of Herb Abrams has kind of taken over. <laughs> and I think you'll know more about what I'm talking about when you see the episode, but it's just, yeah, it's having a haunting effect on me. Yeah. I want to, I want to really challenge listeners who may not be familiar with that name. Don't Google it. Don't try to do your research right now. Just be surprised. Uh, If you don't know about this story, you're in for one hell of a ride. And I only know a little bit, but, uh, the, the topic last night, I feel like I knew a lot about it's brawl for all. Of course, that's our topic this week. And I guess we should just start right at the beginning, Evan. Why was Brawl for All chosen as a topic? Uh, and uh, and what can you tell us about how this all sort of came together as being one of the uh, the featured episodes this year? Yeah, so when we were working on season one um, back in 2018, we were trying to, because, you know, we had just come off of the Bruiser Brody pilot, and we were still trying to figure out what this show is. And we were mapping out possible story ideas, and... <clears throat> I think like the like what we wanted Dark Side of the Ring to be was like we wanted it to be a mixture of um, like true crime stories, you know, like the Bruiser Brody story or the Gino Hernandez story, and we wanted it to have that side of the of the show, and then we also wanted to have more like I don't know, I guess what you'd call like thirty for thirty type episodes where they would be more about you know, wrestling behind the scenes and like, uh, the drama of, you know, putting shows together and, and more about like the sport itself, I guess. And, um, and you know, like the, the, the Montreal screw job was like one of those, uh, stories, you know? And so we, we were trying to look at other events or moments in wrestling that we could kind of chronicle, uh, like the drama behind the scenes and how it kind of, you know, uh, mixes with, the drama in the ring and out of the ring and uh the brawl for all was an idea that was pitched um to us actually i think uh at the time by one of i think it was i think it was howard who's on our team i think it originated with howard or jeff or one of those guys and they yeah, and they and they pitched it was howard right yeah and and howard pitched the idea of doing it on the brawl for all and at first i was kind of like man i don't know like could we get an hour of television out of like you know doing this covering the story and then, like, the more that we kind of looked into it, it sort of seemed like it definitely checked the box of, 
like one of the main themes that we explore on the show, which we've talked about in this show before, which is that, you know, the like blurred lines aspect of, you know, um, you know, reality meeting wrestling fiction. And because you have these guys that, you know, are now being told to, f- to fight for real and, you know, and, and how can you mix those two ideas on a wrestling show? How can you have a real shoot fight on a worked card? You know, and then um, we just started to look into like, Bart Gunn's story, and then we said, well, this actually could be an interesting vehicle to explore, uh, like, the event, but also, like, the stories within the story. You know, like, we could talk about the Godfather's story. We could talk about Draws's story. We could talk about Vince Russo and Jim Cornette, um, because then we kind of found that the Brawl for All, like, it's also kind of a war of, like, wrestling ideology. Like, you know, wrestling... Like with like Vince Russo, here's someone who's who's trying to innovate, you know, and 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 create new ideas and expand what wrestling could be, you know. And then you have Jim Cornette who's trying to protect it and keep it pure and sacred. And so it's kind of another vehicle to get into that kind of conversation. So it seemed like there's just a lot to talk about that wasn't just necessarily the event itself of of the brawl for all, but lots of other things. So long story short, <clears throat> every episode that we do for the show we have to map out like weeks in advance and you know we have to submit like 10 to 20 pages of uh, like research and like at like written outlines to the network as the network has to like you know green light it so we put all the research together um, we got all the characters on board um, and then we submitted to the network they greenlit it and we were out the door shooting um, but it it was something that at, you know while we were filming it in season 1 and we can get to this too is that um, Vice uh, made the call to shorten our season one from from ten episodes originally to sit back down to six, and so while we were filming this episode, we actually um, we had to shelve it. We had to like you know we had filmed a couple interviews and and we had to basically put this episode on pause. Um, and that was at the time it was, it was like, oh man, we just filmed these amazing interviews and there was a chance that this might never see the light of day. Um, and so as soon as we got the, the, the green light for season two, it was like, we were, we were so excited that we could go back and actually tell this story. Jason, I feel like I should mention, you know, one of the major differences between the two types of episodes, you know, like maybe a, a Montreal screw job, uh, and, and, a, and a brawl for all compared to maybe Benoit or new Jack is a lot of the episodes seem to feature a crime and I'm not trying to be funny here, but I'm not trying to set up a joke. Do you think there was a crime involved in this story and, and don't say, Oh, it was a crime against humanity or Bart gun was robbed. Well, do you think there was a crime involved <laughs> in this Jason? I don't think there was a crime, but I think there was, um, maybe just some like negligence and a little bit of a way. Um, I think, you know, it's to put like athletes who are not experienced in real like shoot fights and, you know, throw them into shoot fights is like, I feel such a risky thing to do with your talent. It's like, I can't imagine like, well, maybe they may have done this like back in the seventies, but if I were to walk onto a movie set and then tell my actors like, no, I really, I really want you guys to like fight for real. Like you're going to really like, you know, do a real shoot fight. It's kind of a crazy thing to ask of your performers, but in this case, everyone signed up for it and we're down to do it. But I don't know if everyone really uh, took in what could be the potential consequences of it. Yeah. And like on top of that, too, it's like, 
um, as you see in the episode with like, you know, Bart's story about how he got involved in, in, in the brawl for all, it's like, there's that, there's that carrot that's being dangled. Like, mm. because it, because it's like these mid card guys, these guys who, you know, are falling by the wayside a little bit. Um, and, and, and they're kind of looking for that next idea that's going to incorporate them. Um, and they kind of sign up for it thinking, well, you know, I am a tough guy, you know, like I've gotten into maybe a few bar fights. Obviously there's, there's some folks in the brawl for all who are much more accomplished in actual combat, you know, like someone like Dan Severn, of course, but you know, these guys, basically are being told that this is an, a major opportunity for them um, and then kind of getting involved in it. I think, you know, putting putting guys in harm's way, even if they do agree to it, you know, because a lot of those guys are probably going to participate in something like this to get that next career advancement that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And I think to kind of be put in, 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 in harm's way, which is I think was – I think there is like a lot of naivete there, um, you know, in in terms of what the rules were. The rules were really screwy. And then you just kind of see these guys like, I don't know, especially once you get to WrestleMania 15 and you watch what happened to Bart Gunn. Mm -hmm. It's like the whole Butterbean scenario, which I'm sure we'll get into, like that too just feels like it just has this like – sad quality when you watch it like it's like here's this guy he's being humiliated in front of a crowd of people and it's like i don't know it's like watching the elephant man or something for me like you know like i just feel so bad you know uh for him in that in that instance you know um maybe that's hyperbolic but i i do no i don't think it is i mean i think a lot of us you know maybe haven't stepped back from the idea i think so many hardcore wrestling fans just say oh it was a terrible idea and a lot of people got hurt but they don't really think about Something that, that Jim Cornette said to describe Vince McMahon that I don't think I've ever heard these combinations of words touch. He said, Vince McMahon is both a genius and a demon, which, mm. you know, really feels like, man, when you really think about it like that, did these guys weren't just fighting for, you know, a $75,000 payday. They're fighting for their relevancy just based on their selection of being, you know, quote unquote, mid card guys and the way the wrestling paranoia runs rampant with the performers inside of it, where everybody's worried about their spot or as Jim Ross would mm-hmm. say on, on our podcast every week, their push. And mm-hmm. these guys probably felt pressure to say yes. And then exactly. maybe risk limb and life. And, and it didn't work out for most of them. So I do think that became more apparent in watching the episode for most casual wrestling fans than maybe it would have been without your episode. Do you think that's fair, Evan? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, uh, I think that is a another aspect of it, because, uh, like, you know, a lot of people have asked us when like when we announced like the lineup of the episodes for season two, like some people kind of thought like one of these isn't like the other. Mm-hmm. Like, the what's the brawl for all doing here? What's you know, why what's dark about the brawl for all? How would you I mean, some, you know, people were so how'd you get an hour out of the brawl for all, which was my original thought about it even. And. I think the answer to that is that it is dark, you know, there, there is kind of this, cause you know, obviously wrestlers put themselves, they risk their bodies, you know, so much for this, like all the time, you know, and, 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 and they do put themselves in harm's way with a lot of the stuff that they do, you know, but I think when you're adding an extra element of risk here, you know, in this situation, especially because you have guys that are really competing for their chance in the spotlight. And, and, and there's just like kind of this, you know, going into the situation, it just doesn't feel like it's well thought out. Like I even remember when it, when it aired on raw back in 98 or whatever it was, or 99 and just feeling like, 
so confused. Like they didn't even explain it to the audience. Like what you're about to see is a, re- you know, whatever. Cause they really couldn't, you know? Right. So it was so bizarre and it was so like, just like put together so haphazardly. And I feel like that, that also was what it was like, you know, um, behind the scenes too. And I think putting these guys in that situation and like getting involved in, I mean, that's why you see Dan Severin's like, Nope. You know, he like, he like realizes that like, this is not, you know, like th- this whole thing could end in a fluke and my whole reputation as a decorated fighter could be out the door. Like, nope, I'm out of here, guys. Peace. You know, but at the same time, these guys are 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 risking themselves and and, uh, you know, they're, and risking their bodies in a, in a very extreme way, kind of all for the benefit of the ratings of this Monday Night War situation that's going on. And it just it does have an, an icky feeling. I think when you watch it and you watch the guys getting hurt and really not knowing how to fight each other and not knowing how to do this professionally, it has a very icky feeling to the whole thing. And I think that that really came uh, that, that, that really came through when we were putting this together and looking at it and being like, whoa, this actually is like a little bit darker than we thought where maybe we did think going into it, that this was going to be a more quote unquote fun episode of the show. Yeah, it, it is something that, uh, is way different than, than what you would see on the rest of the show. I mean, let's not forget brawl for all was happening around an episode that went head to head with Hulk Hogan losing to Goldberg on nitro and that same episode of Monday night war would have, uh, or, or the Monday night raw would have DX spoofing the nation. So there's sort of all this silliness on the channel, but at the same time, you've got this realism and I think they're looking for whatever sort of magic sauce they could just to upend what was happening on the other channel, which clearly had a lot of momentum with the NWO and now Goldberg beating Hulk Hogan. There's just, you know, you wonder how do these bad ideas come from, or, you know, or come to be. And I feel like two of the central characters that I would have liked to have heard from in this episode that obviously mm-hmm. couldn't for, for obvious WWE reasons, probably Bruce and JBL, right? Definitely. Um, and you know, Bruce was definitely <clears throat> somebody we wanted to have in the episode when we were filming it in season one. And, we actually found we actually were at Vince Russo's house and we had just finished the interview with Vince Russo and we were on our way to Bruce's house. We were flying from from Denver to Houston and right as we were pulling out of Vince Russo's driveway, I'll never forget. That's when we got the phone call from from Vice, essentially, when it was like, guys, um, you know, and, and they basically told us to come come home you know, because, uh, this episode is no longer going to happen. And, uh, you guys are going from 10 episodes down to six mm. and we were so crushed because we, everything we had just shot over that last week, we were like trying to come to terms with that's never going to be seen. <laughs> like, so we just, yeah. You know, and we just had like, yeah, just busted our ass. Like, I remember we were so exhausted and we're like been lugging this gear around and, uh, there's only been like two or three times, I think during the course of making, both season one and two where we've been brought to moments where we're literally just like lying on the asphalt in the middle of a road, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have a great picture of Jason. I have a great picture of Jason. Like once we got the news, um, that, that they were going to, you know, uh, they were going to, they were going to shorten our season down to six. There's a picture of Jason just laying in the middle of the street, like, um, you know, with like this, this moment. (laughs) And that has happened to us a couple different times on making the show where these laying in the street moments, but yeah, that, that was rough, but we were on our way to go interview Bruce. And it's like, man, had we just 
snuck it in there, you know, he may be in this episode. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it, we still found a way to, uh, to get him on there with some clips from something to wrestle. How important mm-hmm. was, yeah. was something to wrestle to the original idea? Do you think even being discussed brawl for all, or did it play a factor? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, you, you, I think you guys around that time, like that was, uh, you know, pretty early on, I think with your guy, or relatively early on with yeah. you guys doing the podcast and, um, you know, a lot of folks on our team, you know, listen to the show. Like I know Howard, I think listened to the show, Jeff listened to the show, um, who worked with us. And, uh, I think just like that, probably they, they like the awareness of, you know, cause the brawl for all is kind of a forgotten yeah. idea in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that that may have come through 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 that by like listening to the episode and and of course like not having Bruce in for the episode it was like well we had a real challenge because it was like nobody else nobody else could really tell the story of how the brackets were made like we actually asked a lot of people and they're like I don't know how the fucking brackets were made you know and I and I do remember that from the something to wrestle. Uh, story was that he told that story of that, you know, though the brackets were a shoot. And so I always thought that was interesting. And of course, as you see in the episode, Bart Gunn's like, nah, you know, or whatever. So that's kind of funny too. That was funny. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me when I watched this with you guys this week was Dr. Death, you know, lots of rumor and innuendo, uh, in this about Dr. Death, uh, how fired up was Jim Ross in real life about Dr. Death? It feels like for 20 years, he's been put in an unenviable position of always having to defend, you know, his friend just based on their friendship. And this feels like another example of that. Does it not? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jr. during that interview was very defensive, uh, about that the whole time. I think like, you know, that was the first time we really got to, um, spend time with, you know, with Jim was during that, that interview, that was the first, the first time we worked with him. And, uh, <clears throat> I think his mood during the whole brawl for all <laughs> interview was just almost like a, like a little bit of like, why the fuck are we doing this? <laughs> you know, and also like, um, and, and, and also kind of just being, being irritated at the fact that, you know, a lot of people have for years and years and years thought that this was this whole ploy to get, you know, that everything was put in his favor. I mean, you know, and then watching last night's after dark, which they did, you know, Bart Gunn talked about like, you know, from Bart's point of view, anytime they promoted the brawl for all, they featured Steve Williams and like, they like showed his trainer and they show, talked about his acolytes and they talked about this. And so he felt it was very skewed, you know, towards, towards him. Um, but yeah, Jim, Jim was very passionate about it for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's coming through loud and clear. Let's talk about Bart Gunn. I mean, he's the hero figure in a television show in 2020. Thanks to you guys. And it feels like forever since (laughs) we've heard from him. Tell us about Bart Gunn. You know, my two cents are, I felt like he was very honest and introspective. And I love that moment where he wouldn't commit to the word fizzle to describe his career after splitting up the, uh, smoking guns. And then eventually he just settles on that seemingly before our eyes. I thought he was a very compelling character, uh, through this television series here. What was your experience working with Bart and how did you get him involved in the project, Jason? I was, at first I was a little like, I don't know why a little nervous about interviewing Bart Gunn, because I think it was just hard to really find any 
like much info about him or other interviews he did to get a real sense of like what his personality was outside of the ring. And uh, when we went to go, like when we went to go spend time with him, he was just so he was so cool. He was so down to earth, um, and was just him and his wife were so welcoming to us. Um, but there was a long period where we thought um, there was a chance that we weren't going to get Bart Gunn, and mm-hmm. I don't know how we could have done the episode without him. Because I think there was a period where we were going to try to truck on without Bart Gunn, but now I just no. I can't imagine it without him. It was it was uh, it was always the thing in the office. It was like the thing in the office for like a couple of weeks was like, you hear from Bart Gunn yet? No. And it was just like, oh, man. It was like this real kind of thing where it's like, man, like, do we scrap this? Do we bail on this? Because it was like, I, I couldn't imagine the episode without him. There's no way you can do the episode without him. Um, <clears throat> and it was, it, was, it was really hard to get him to call us back. And to, it was one of the harder guys to wrangle. Um, and I even remember... Like the main the the main thing that we did to get him in the episode originally was I I found his son on Instagram and I just was like kind of reaching out to his son and was like, hey, man, like, you know, this is who I am and we really want to do this thing about your dad. And um, and then it just kind of was this confluence of things. But like, you know, Bart was very um, skeptical about wanting to participate in this because this was a very like difficult thing for him, you know, this whole experience. And I think he was very kind of worried about how he would be portrayed and how it would come together and, and, you know, and how it's been talked about before, I'm sure. And so it was just, it was a, it was a lengthy process of like talking to him and, and, you know, earning his trust and really trying to say, Hey, this is like your story that we really want to tell. Um, and one of the funny things of how I think what, what actually sealed the deal uh, for Bart, for, for, for Bart getting, um, in the show is his son is actually, uh, a actor in, in New York city and his son <clears throat> was doing, a, a a part on the HBO series ballers. And he was doing like just a, a like a, he was doing like, like one, one or two scenes or whatever. And he actually was on set with Dwayne Johnson and, and, uh, he just had like an opportunity to walk up to Dwayne and was basically like, Hey, um, I'm actually Bart Gunn's son. And he was like, no way. And he was like <laughs> blown away. And he was like, oh my God, how's your dad? How, like, you know, what's going on? And, and him and him and, um, and, and they just started talking about his dad. And, and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, Bart's son just brought up, he was like, yeah, so my dad's like thinking about, you know, maybe taking part in this. Um, and, and, and I, I should mention just in the timeline that this was after, season one had come out, you know, so the episode was already on the shelf. Um, and Bart was still wondering if he should participate in this. And, uh, Dwayne basically told his son, he was like, you have to tell your, your dad to do, to do this. Like he has to be a part of this show. Like, and which was so cool to hear, you know, from, uh, Bart's son that, you know, Dwayne obviously being a fan of the show and also like, was basically, you have to convince your dad to do this. And so I think we have, we owe like so much thanks already to Dwayne Johnson for, for being a fan of the show and, and sharing that with people. But also like, you know, I don't know if Bart would have been part of the show had it not been for Dwayne. Man, what a fun story. Uh, I can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about this, J- Jason. Do you think Bart is bitter that WWE didn't do more with him as a, as a result, you know, it feels like he sort of settled into the fact that, you know, he had a good tag team career, but 
then when you hear him talk about, you know, oh, and then everybody was saying, oh, sure. You're going to knock him out. And it just felt like as the show went on and as he continued to sort of tell his story, he became a little more bitter. I mean, and, and I think most fans sort of side with Bart. I mean, the internet was blowing up last night discussing what a missed opportunity this was after Bart had sort of ran roughshod over this entire tournament. What could have been, you know, if they would have translated real life into fiction uh, with the Bart gun character, do you think, do you think it's fair to classify him as, as bitter Jason? Um, I never really got the sense from him, um, that he like was carrying like any sort of bitterness like about it. Like there, like there is in a sense that like, I'm sure like he is, I think disappointed in like how they didn't, um, like pushes push him um after he like won the brawl for all in the way that he was pitched that he was going to get uh pushed um but he didn't really like he didn't really carry it around him like when we were with him like sometimes like when the camera's off with other people they're with other subjects they're still kind of you know riffing about the subject and you can tell that it still lives with them and they're haunted by it but with uh bart i don't know he had a very kind of zen-like quality to him in a way where i think he's now like he's moved on from it um mm-hmm. seems to be like really happy in his life he's i believe he's an electrician and i i, I think he mentioned he works over at nasa as an electrician at times yeah. and, he, and he's got uh his like grandchildren there and he just seems i don't know he seems pretty he seems pretty comfortable and not very like bitter towards that in a lot of ways but yeah, as you can see, like there was like I feel there was definitely like a missed opportunity mm-hmm. with him because he was really cool. Like when you really like like I can see like how um like there was an ability like there was an uh, opportunity to do something with Bart. You just needed the right ideas. Yeah, and um I think <clears throat> from my vantage point, you know, I think the thing that he carried around more than his lack of push was the butterbean thing. I think the butterbean thing is a thing uh, that 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 does haunt him, I, I, I would say, where he feels like, you know, in hindsight, um, you know, had he prepared differently, had he not gone to a boxing trainer, had he not approached the match like a boxer and actually approached it more like a tough man contest, maybe he would have had a better chance. I don't know what the outcome, if that would have been any different, but that was kind of the thing that, that I think, you know, has ate away at him. And one thing that also was interesting about that interview is that he had told us that he had never seen the fight before. He had never watched the Butterbean fight before wow. up until I think the day before that interview. And so that to me really just said that this was this was a really hard spot for him to go back to because I think he did feel humiliated and he, he was very disappointed in himself. Um, and that's something I think he's been carrying around. But one thing that did come to light last night again on after dark that was interesting is when he was sitting at home after he wins his tournament and he is brooding about his career he wrote a letter to vince mcmahon actually like which he didn't mention in our interview i don't think but he actually wrote a letter to vince mcmahon like spelling out his frustration (laughs) about you know i won this thing now where's my where's my push and that that's kind of ballsy you know for him to basically be like, you know, dude, I won this thing, and now what are you going to do with me? But I guess that letter that he wrote to Vince went completely unanswered. So it's just, it's it's wild, you know? It's wild that, because it's almost like if they had something not ever saying they should do a Brawl for All today, but, like, if, if, if someone had that, like, 
level of organic, you know, um, you know, like was kind of over in like an organic way like that. I feel like that's something that WWE would jump all over today, you know, had they had like someone, I mean, maybe, I don't know, but. Well, I I don't know either, just because it feels like if it's not, you know, I, I think if anything, we've learned over the years that if Vince sees you through a certain lens or at a certain level, rather, that's where you are. And he's not really yeah. going to veer from that. And if there's someone in the back who campaigns really hard, we've heard that sometimes that works against you too. Like, yeah, Arn mm. Anderson has talked about how he would champion Luke Harper a ton to the point that it almost felt like they weren't going to do anything with Luke just because he was Arn's guy. And we've heard, you know, right. Bruce on something to wrestle talk about Heyman lobbying for guys so hard you know, that sometimes right. it would just turn Vince off. Of course, the, the prime example that I think Bruce always mentions is, um, is CM Punk. Right. So it's just exactly. fascinating to me to sort of, Hey, we don't have anything for these guys. And that's sort of the other thing. Creative has nothing for you. We don't have anything right. for these guys. Let them just beat the shit out of each other. And maybe we'll make a star out of Dr. Death. Well, when that doesn't happen yeah. and they do beat the shit out of each other. The plan maybe originally was we'll put Dr. Death with Austin, even though everybody denies that, but seemingly that's why he was coming in one last run. And maybe it wouldn't mm -hmm. have been a, a SummerSlam main event, but maybe a, you know, a December show or, or a February show, but Bart Gunn never even gets that, which I just think is fascinating. But one thing Butterbean got is whew, all of Bart Gunn's ass at WrestleMania 15 uh, he's an, mm -hmm. he's an Alabama boy. Did you guys eat at his restaurant? what do you think of spending the day with uh, Butterbean? <laughs> <laughs> we did spend the day at his restaurant or a morning. <laughs> um, but he had like a deal. It was like what? $9, like prime rib, like <laughs> something crazy <laughs> or like a T-bone. I can't, it, it was good though. I'm not going to lie. He, he told us he got the recipe from some, like, what was it? Like some, I don't know. Some I chef. He like took the recipe and he had like this wicked marinate, marinated uh, sauce that he made. Um, that actually I thought it tasted great. <laughs> what a character it was he, good. he is, Jason. Tell us about spending some time with with Butterbean. There, it wasn't a lot of time. I think we spent maybe God maybe like an hour. We like we went to his restaurant early in the morning. We like set up there before they opened up and. We were just, we got it all set up and we're just like waiting and waiting. And then his, like his son walked in and I was like, at first I was like, oh, it's Butterbean. And then I, I <laughs> and, and it took me a second, like, no, whoa, that his son looks just like him. And then yeah. Butterbean came walking in the door behind him and he just sat down and he was so, I was surprised. And I guess I took it for granted that he's just, he's so media trained. He's done so many reality TV shows and so it was just like any other gig for him. He like walked in, there was like a setup, like he sat in this chair and, you know, we, we talked to him for, I don't know, like 45 minutes to an hour. And, uh, he was just on point. Um, he was, he was really good actually. Um, uh, but yeah, he was, he was, he was a good, he seemed cool. He was also just really chill vibes. He, he seemed like he was, he was pretty happy. <laughs> But he also backed up the story that he was brought in as Bart's uh, punishment, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's so fascinating. It's weird how it seems like no matter what story we're trying to tell in professional wrestling, somehow it gets around to Vince McMahon again. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about one of the more interesting characters 
through the history of not just the series, but the industry, Evan, I feel like you had fun shooting with the Godfather. What can you share with us? <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah. Oh man. Uh, Godfather is amazing. Um, and, uh, we, Basically, again, like we, we were so fascinated with his career, tra like trajectory, like through time, like playing these different characters, Papa Shango, Kama, you know, Nation of Domination, Godfather. You know, he's played so many, inhabited so many different roles. And we thought that this this could be an interesting vehicle to touch on that. But of course, you know, we're so limited by our runtime. Um, but we get to Vegas and this is during season one. We actually shot his interview during season one and we like get to Vegas and we have this camera guy. Uh, that shot most of season one with us named Chris and Chris is a family guy. You know, he's got children, he's got, he's married, you know, and, and usually every time we get to a town, you know, Chris kind of pieces out to his hotel room and like see you guys in the morning for the interview. And, you yeah, know, he's Jason like, and I, family and stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like doing good family dad stuff. And, and we're always like the marks on the road. So we're like, we got to hang out with these guys the night before, you know? <laughs> Um, and so this one time we like get to like, we're in Vegas, you know, and, and I'm like, come on, Chris, you gotta come out. You gotta come out this one time. We're going to go hang with the Godfather. You know, you gotta, this is a person you gotta, you gotta hang with if you're going to hang with any one of these guys. So, <clears throat> so we go to Cheetahs, you know, which is the strip club that, uh, you know, the Godfather works at, I, you know, I don't, Conrad, have you ever been there before? No, I have not. Okay. And it was like. You know, so so we went there and, you know, the Godfather, this is like, a, I don't know, late at night. And like, he's got this, uh, he doesn't work there anymore, unfortunately, but he had this window, like concrete building, like windowless concrete building that's behind the strip club and he's the manager and that's where he works. And so we're like driving around the back of the strip club and we walk into his, <laughs> we walk into his office and it's just like a cloud of weed smoke as we walk into this. It's like amazing. And then like, he has like these two porcelain Panthers, like on the other side of his desk. And he just was looking and he had like the, like, the, like Scarface, you know, like, you know, camera monitors where he can like watch like everything that's going on in the club. And it just like was like super tough, you know, it was like super tough looking. <laughs> and we and we walk in there and Chris is with us, you know, who's really kind of, I would say a little out of his element, you know, but still it was funny just to see him in this environment that, that we've brought him to because we we've brought a lot of crew members who don't know anything about wrestling into some pretty, you know, wild wrestling scenarios, I would say. Right. When you say that. Jason. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You're, people are going to want to interview them, I think. And like, to the, like RF video shoot interviews. Ten years from now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, so we're there and I think there was a, a part of the Godfather. I mean, he just launched into telling us stories, you know, and he just yeah. was telling us these amazing stories about his pre wrestling yeah. career. He's such and, a good storyteller and he was just, it was amazing. We were just, we just sat there and he just washed us with all these stories. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and, and he was smoking these like volcano bags of like, what, what, what do you call that? Like, like vapor, like what, what is that? Like, like weed vapor? What is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's some sort of weed vaping volcano sort of. Scenario. It is crazy. 
It was crazy. And, 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 and I think there was part of him that was kind of sizing us up a little bit, which happens to us a lot on the road where like these wrestlers kind of see like, can they push these guys or like, you know, like who are these guys? So I think he was pushing us a little to like, you know, feel us out. So we just find ourselves like smoking these like volcano bags of like THC vapor. (laughs) And then, and then like, he's like pouring shots of like this, like sugary, like Jameson, American honey, like not my thing. Okay. Like I, not my thing. And so we're just like taking a puff of the vapor and then we're like shooting this shot and we're just getting fucked up. We're going (laughs) off for hours. Like we're going blow for blow shot for shot. Like (laughs) with the Godfather. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like hanging in there. And he's like, and the Godfather's like going into these stories about his pre wrestling career. And he's like, he's like, He's like, guys, I've done some bad shit. I've done some bad shit. You know, talking about like his biker gang days and shit. And it was amazing. And like one of the stories that like sticks out in my mind that like was just like, and we actually asked him about it in the interview when we interviewed him, but he told us a story about like, you know, he's, he's a big guy too. When you see him in real life, he's a tall, big dude. And he was talking about like when he used to work at bars and he was just like a monster. And like he had like, you know, he was also a guy that had like, you know, um, he, he had a lot of tons of tattoos before a lot of people did and everything. And he was be- like bench pressing 600 pounds. And so anyway, he's working at this bar. And I remember him telling the story about this dude that came in that was bragging about the KKK. This dude came in and he was like talking to the Godfather about the KKK. And Godfather's like, you know, or Charles, you know, and he was like, what the hell is this fucking guy? You know, and this guy showed him that he had this knife that had like a KKK branding on it and some grand wizard stuff on it. And like, you know, Charles wasn't having any of this. So he just beat the shit out of this guy in the bar and then actually stole his knife. And, and, and Godfather used to wear that around his neck, like all the time as like a trophy that like he had from this like KKK guy that he beat up in a bar, <laughs> you know? And so like, he's just like telling us these wild stories while we're going blow, blow, you know, blow for blow with him. And uh, and right in the middle of this, we look over at our at our camera guy, our poor camera guy that we brought into this like crazy situation, and like he's completely passed out, like in the uh, in the chair. <laughs> like, do you remember that? Yeah, and I remember Chris the next morning. He like came up to us and he was just like, "Guys, I'm so sorry. You know, like I I thought this was the one time I was gonna be able to like hang out with you guys and hang with the wrestlers and like." be able to like stand up to it and uh but you know it was totally like totally cool chris is oh, man. awesome yeah but he was so embarrassed like that like you know he literally was like curled up in a ball like in the chair in godfather's office like you know <laughs> with like a weed smoke clouding around him like he 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 you know and it was just it was just one of the wilder kind of you know experiences that we had with any of these guys and um and i just remember the next day we were all feeling it pretty bad like we were all like oh my god i mean at least i was i was like i don't know and then we do the interview the next day with the godfather and he was amazing and he was on and he was incredible and then like after like i remember chris was like i gotta go to bed like immediately (laughs) like he went to the hotel and then we started back up again with the godfather and we just had this moment where we were like shooting with him you know more like more like handheld like 
impromptu kind of style while he's just like, again, like, you know, the Godfather just smokes weed around the clock. And then he just told us these like amazing stories, which, which one of which we actually snuck into the road warriors episode that you'll see later on this season. But, um, yeah, it was just one of the more like awesome experiences we had was just like hanging with the Godfather. Really a remarkable character and, and somebody that we don't hear from a lot in their real life. Um, Jason, did you ever think that you would, through the course of this project, have to shoot some B-roll featuring pimp slaps? <laughs> um, I figured at some point that would like happen in my career, but um, it was no <laughs> better than to do it with The Godfather. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, as soon as he told that story to us where he used to just like slap pimps from behind the bar. We knew instantly, like, yep, we're doing that in the reenactments. There's going to be a slow motion shot of Godfather slapping some pimps off the bar. Yeah, there's like this thing that we have where when we when we do interviews with these guys, there's like a look that Jason and I give each other when sure. we know this is going to be a reenactment later. Like, you know, like yeah. file that away, like for sure, pimp slap is going to happen. Yeah, and and with that take too in the reenactment, you see the guy like he's like spitting out a drink. Well, that's like something that like Evan and I have like practiced like doing like so much like before, right before during the prep, I think of season one of Dark Side of the Ring, we got like really obsessed with like walking around and swinging chains around and shooting <laughs> in slow motion. I think maybe partly Bruiser Brody was like inspired that inspiring that, but we were just like super into chains and we were just swinging chains and like filming it in slow motion. And so we just, and we would do these takes where we would like wrap the chain around our fists and like punch each other in the face. And then we would spit out a bunch of water. It's like a thing where like, we've just, we've been so used to doing that when we try to get actors on set to do it, it becomes, it's so difficult. Like, I think that shot that you see took like, Something like 20 takes. Yeah, we need to sit down every actor and show them our chain videos. But yeah, literally, I think that had we not made these bizarre chain, like fetish, like, <laughs> like, like weird chain fighting videos that we made, I don't think that Dark Side of the Ring may have been the same, right? I mean, no, because... no. 2017, <laughs> 2018, we were all about chains. We were just yeah. chains. Oh like, we had chains in our trunk. We like we were just on the road with chains. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but those videos, those slow motion videos we did on our phone, that really like informed like how like the the, the approach and style to all the slow motion 100%. in dark in Dark Side of the Ring. I remember Vice was so mad, like, like after we started posting chain videos, I remember Vice came to me and was like, how come you didn't make chain videos for us? Like, how come you're not making chain videos for <laughs> why, 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 you, you know, and like, they were mad, like that. I didn't like make chain videos for Vice. So was, okay. <laughs> oh my God. Let's move on. Uh, let's, talk, <laughs> let's talk about draws. He's somebody that we fans don't see or hear from that much anymore. And I think that's a shame uh, what a tragic story he has and. It feels like we could have almost had like a miniature episode within an episode. I assume that's what you're going for in this piece right here. Right, Evan? Yeah. I mean, again, like going back to, um, planning this episode, you know, and, and, and using the brawl for all, as kind of the spine of the episode and to kind of like branch off into different stories about, you know, different wrestlers. Um, you know, it, it, talking about draws was definitely or talking about his story and what he's, what he's been through is, was always a, a, a plan. And, um, 
he was actually the very first interview we did of season two when we when we got when we were um when we were back up and 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 uh and and uh shooting and he you know yeah just to to know kind of what he's been through because we got kind of like a a glimpse into it of just like you know what what he has to go through every day in in order to you know just function and and um it's yeah it was just a very like heavy experience i remember but he's such a he's a sweet sweet guy and his perspective on the whole thing and just you know is is incredible he has such an amazing attitude um just even given everything that he's been through and um yeah it was just kind of a it was something that we obviously wanted to touch on and then you know, we were able to interview D'Lo Brown for, you know, the New Jack episode. And so we were able to ask him some questions about it and kind of work it in. And it, I think it, I think touching on that works really nicely because, you know, so much of the Brawl for All episode is about injuries and the consequences of the ring. And I think that, you know, knowing just like under a year later from the Brawl for All that this would ultimately end, you know, draws his career, it just kind of puts it in perspective of like what risks these guys are assuming in the ring every day. And just like one move, like Jim Cornette says, like just one moment in time, you know, um, can change everything. Jason, it feels like this is uh, two seasons in a row where he have we have segments with like major tension between Cornette and Russo. Is Cornette just great TV, or do you guys just love that energy for an episode? Because man, he just jumps off the screen when he's talking about Vince Russo, does he not? Well, <laughs> yeah, he's very passionate about it. Some uh, it, it's funny. Like I, I remember we were filming one time, and uh, or after we were filming an interview with uh, Cornette. His uh, his wife Stacy came in. and She was like, "Yeah, I was gonna come up and see if you guys needed any like food or drinks or anything." But then, I just I heard Jim yelling Russo, and I just like walked away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's something that she's like used to, and she knows what kind of like mood that like uh, Jim goes into when when Russo's brought up. But um, yeah, it's like yeah, the the energy there is definitely palpable, and it. It, you know, it's incredible to see on TV, uh, but it's it's really interesting spending time with both these guys because we we really like we love Jim and we love Russo as well. Like Russo was so cool also to spend time with like him and his wife were so nice to us and like so welcoming to us. Um, I wish we got to spend more time with Russo. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's funny spending both times with them. They both have like really amazing dogs. And, um, <laughs> and then to see, yeah, there's this deep hatred. Um, and I think it, it go, it works well, um, with the brawl for all episode because it is kind of, it is that battle of the ideology behind wrestling in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it was kind of a trippy experience as a wrestling fan, knowing the background between the, between those two guys. And, uh, like I was mentioning when we were at Vince Russo's house filming the interview, um, and we were supposed to go to Bruce's house after that. But when plans changed, we actually traveled from Russo's living room and got on a plane and went to Louisville. And then we're in Jim Cornette's house like the next day. (laughs) It's just a weird thing to be like in their respective environments, like within 24 hours of each other. Um, Because we had to film the interview for the Fabulous Moolah episode with Jim. Um, But one one of the ideas that we had in the very beginning stages of the Brawl for All episode was like, you know, utilizing it, like I said, like as a vehicle to get into, uh, their rivalry, you know, to just kind of show the, yeah, like what Jason was saying, the war, the war, the war of like wrestling ideology. And one thing that 
actually happened is that we had that material, like we had filmed some of that material between their, their kind of rivalry. But when we thought that we weren't going to be able to use it for, when we thought that the brawl for all episode was never going to happen, we actually decided we, we audibled and, and, and put some of it into the Montreal screw job episode of, of season one, because we sort of felt like, well, you know, the Montreal screw job story looks at a real life rivalry between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. These two guys are at odds with each other. And then when you kind of peel back the layers of the onion, you know, of this story, you see that there's two other guys behind the scenes that hate each other as well. And it kind of, became this parallel for that um and we wound up using it in the montreal screw job episode but it really was all that stuff was actually intended for the brawl just for the brawl for all episode and the other thing that we sketched out was this idea of like um can we um like get them in the same room like could we use this as an opportunity to finally get vince russo and jim Cornette? Um, in the same room. And that obviously was a complete naive idea because I remember actually sitting with Jim Cornette in one of his, in somewhere in his house. And I was like pitching him the idea, like in person. And I was like, you know, so look like, you know, like, what do you think? You know? And I know he's talked about this a lot on his podcast or he's talked about it a lot in interviews and he gets, you know, he, he puts on the, you know, he, he does the Jim Cornette cuts a promo on it after you hear that. But he just actually looked at me very lucid and was just like, um, I can't like, I just, I, I can't do it. Like I've made a promise to my wife. Like I, I can't, you know, because I, 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 th there's no telling like what will happen, you know? Um, like I, I will, I will go into a blind rage and I will black out and I'll just wake up, you know, in handcuffs, you know, <laughs> basically it's what he said. So I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. But Russo had this really good idea, which, I would love, like, if it could ever happen someday, I, I'm down to be there. Is Russo pitched the idea of that they both get on lie detector tests, and like, you know, we just film that experience. I would be like so down to do that. Oh my god! For for yeah, all the all the flack he gets for bad ideas, that was one of the best ideas we've heard that anyone's ever pitched to us for Dark Side of the Ring. Which is, you know, he he was saying to us like, you know, after the Montreal Screwjob episode aired, he's like, you guys should really hook every interview subject up to lie detectors. And I was like, man, that would be amazing. We should have done that. <laughs> yeah, somehow I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, <laughs> Russo is a is a polarizing individual amongst hardcore wrestling fans, but people who've actually, you know, met him in real life, sometimes tell a different story. Uh, yes. tell us about your experience in working with him, Evan. Yeah, he was, um, it, it is interesting because when you see him like on his, uh, podcast or his Twitch stream or whatever, he's just like over the top animated going into this bro, 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 you know, thing, but actually like when we when we spent time with him, he was really as chill as could be. And it was kind of like he's super nice guy. His wife is super nice. You know, like Jason was saying, you know, had an amazing dog. Like it was kind of like a little like it was different, you know, like he just yeah. was. I really like too that like he was just into just so many other things in pop culture, you know. And so we spent a lot of time just talking to him about like other things other than wrestling. <laughs> yeah, but he just was a really kind of down to earth guy almost. It was it was very like because you know you hear kind of the reputation and you hear kind of how people think you know about him and and all and yeah how polarizing he is and everything of course like you were saying but yeah it's kind of a different vibe when you're just like hanging with him you know and um, 
Yeah, it's strange. One of the other things that, uh, you know, really jumped out at me is the, the shot of Jim Cornette tearing the picture of Vince Russo. That's going to be a gif that's going everywhere. Jason, whose idea was that shot? Um, I, I can't, I don't, I don't, was it Jim's idea? <laughs> I, I think maybe it was like, you know, I actually, um, I will post it now. I have a little, uh, behind the scenes of making that shot um and uh that that i took on my phone when we were filming it and it was just like this is ridiculous <laughs> what are we doing yeah it's uh it's going to be the, a viral gift for sure jason when you watch this episode back what's your favorite or most memorable scene do you think um i i, I think like there's there's moments that are like special to me because there's of like the behind the scenes kind of moments like for me i really love when you see bart gunn pull out the golden gloves like when we were at his home i remember like evan and i on the way there um it was brought up like do you think like he still has like the golden gloves and we're and we thought like no there's no way you know and we're there at the house and like i think a couple hours in like i just asked like do you you don't happen to still have those golden gloves like the gold, the gloves that he won for winning the brawl for all tournament and he's like oh yeah they're in the closet and he just like pulled them out and his like grandchildren were like playing with them and it was just like so they were in pristine like shape still and it was like wow like here is this like for me i think such an incredible like wrestling artifact that's just like sitting in this like closet, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and how funny yeah, is it that, that he risked life and limb and so many other people did. And I, I, I mean, so many careers are ruined and it's for a giant pair of golden boxing gloves. It's so <sighs> dumb. It's so dumb. That's what kind of makes it amazing. And the, <laughs> it just puts the icing on the cake of this whole idea. It's like those gloves are the dark side of the ring for sure. Oh my God. So yeah. silly. One thing just to yeah touch on with Bart too is uh, in that interview as well. Um, you know when he when he's talking about pursuing Butterbean, you know, which like I was saying earlier was such a, uh, you know, I think that's the thing that he still holds on to a lot was was like you know because he really tried to have that second opportunity, um, you know, to pursue him in 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 mixed martial arts. I mean, Bart actually went on to have a career in Japan, not only just wrestling after WWE, but he also competed in MMA um, and had at several MMA matches, and he was very successful too. So he was really trying to get um, a rematch going with Butterbean for a while. And, um, you know, one of the more tragic sides of Bart Gunn's story, which, you know, is, is just one of my biggest regrets maybe on this whole episode. And it was mostly just because like, I didn't really know at the time. And I, I wish I would have been a little more perceptive to ask him about it. But one thing I, um, I think is just, is just, a is just another wild part of this whole story and, 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 and something that's part of Bart's story is that we noticed when he, we walked into his home that he had this tattoo on his arm, um, of a child's face, like a portrait. And, and, um, you know, usually that means, you know, one thing. And, and during the interview, he, as you watch in the episode, when he's talking about pursuing Butterbean, he says that there were some 
you know, like the match didn't quite come together because I wanted to prepare for it. And then um, he says, uh, then some things happened in my life and then it just kind of, you know, faded away and it never materialized. And I wish if I could go back in a time machine, I wish I would have asked him in that moment, what were the things that happened in your life? And it's actually a very, very tragic story. But we found out more after the fact is that, um, you know, Bart Bart's other son, um, you know, tragically was, was, um, hanging out with his friend one day and they were, I think his friend was like cleaning one of his guns and the gun went off and actually shot and, and killed Bart's son accidentally. And that was actually something that happened in his life and was one of the main reasons why he, he stopped with all, you know, performing or competing or anything and so that was just like wow just couldn't believe that that like poor you know it's just a tragic tragic horrible horrible story evan is there a deleted scene that didn't make air that you wish could have when you watched it back last night um (laughs) oh my god it's hard to think about those things because when you when you when you when you you know, after you make those choices of when you cut the episode down and you get it to time on television, sometimes when those, when those scenes are cut out of the episode, they're, they're just kind of gone forever and they come out of your mind. But, um, unless like, obviously, you know, the, the whole saga with the Jim Cornette and the Vince Russo thing, the thing that's so wild about it is that it escalated to a, um, restraining order. And we did shoot a whole scene with, you know, Jim taking us through, <laughs> you know, how he, he, he gets the restraining order from Vince Russo, um, eventually. And then Jim turns that into something that he's now selling autographed on his web store and then donating the proceeds to charity. <laughs> it's just like this absurd, you know, this thing is just, you know, ballooned into this absurd, uh, you know, situation between those two guys. Uh, that might be one thing. I don't know, Jason, is there another thing that you wish that would have made it in? I can't really think of any scenes in particular. It's been a little while, and I've had a lot of episodes, other edits of episodes on my mind since. But um, I, you know, there are there's definitely like some things I wish we could have fit in. Like there's like so much more like great Doctor Death archival out there that I wish we could uh, fit into the episode in some way. Yeah. We have like so much like running time, but um, we also like. One thing we do on the road, and we try to find time for it. It's so hard to do. Chain and, battles, uh, chains, <laughs> chain videos, is like we 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 try to hunt down as much like archival as we can, and so we're always asking our subjects if they have any like photographs like laying around. And surprisingly enough, Bart Gunn like had a treasure trove. He pulled out this box, and it was filled. It was a treasure trove of photos, and like all these photos, like these candid photos. Um, from the locker room during like that time period and uh yeah just, it was uh just going through that box was just incredible and there's a lot of those photos that haven't made it into the episode um but i don't know maybe someday later down the road they could be used in some way but we felt we feel like it's our duty to like collect as much of this stuff as we can that you know just for archival purposes and hopefully maybe some day down the road it gets used for some purpose yeah, he had an incredible collection of, of photos, and yeah, and and not 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 every wrestler or subject we talk to actually winds up saving a lot of that stuff for whatever reason. But yeah, he definitely yeah. had some great stuff. Yeah, it's it's fun to realize that most of those guys don't. You know, they just 
they think it's quote unquote mark shit and they're above it. Yeah. So they just delete it. And it's almost shameful if you're proud of your accomplishments. It's it's a weird subculture. Let's talk about the rest of the field here in Brawl for All. Uh, is there anybody who, who declined to participate in this, Evan? You know, whether it was Dan Severn or Brockus or Mark Henry or, or no, I'm sorry, Mark, <laughs> uh, Mark Merrow or Henry Godwin, Bob Holly, PCO, Steve Blackman. Did anybody decline the opportunity to appear on the show? No, you know, and, and again, it's just kind of like, uh, the, the virtue or the, 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 the situation of our budget, you sure. know, it's like, we can only travel to so many places and we can only talk to so many people just on, on that level. Um, and there's so many people you could talk to with yeah. this story. Um, I would have like, loved to have interviewed Carl. Lett. Like I, I was just going to say, would, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know, PCO is just like, you know, he's amazing, an incredible performer now and what he's, what he's, you know, blossomed into, <laughs> you know, since, since you look back at the brawl for all, it's like hard to even recognize it's the same guy who's now just like, you know, a monster and going, going crazy, <laughs> you know? Um, so it would have been really cool to talk to him about it. And then also like feature what the, the crazy stuff he's been doing in the last couple of years. Um, but, uh, you know, it would have been great to also talk to some of the, you know, to talk to Dan Severn about just his perspective on it. I actually did get a chance to check with him a little bit about it at Starcast, actually, when he was there in the green room and in Vegas, I actually talked to him, um, a little bit about it. Um, and you know, just to be able to get his perspective coming from the, the world of UFC and looking at like, okay, you know, like why, why is this idea like a complete misfire and dangerous? And it would have been nice to get that perspective. Um, and I'm trying to think, I know I talked to Ken Shamrock about it too. I think I, I you know, I saw him also at Starcast <laughs> and talked to him about it and, um, you know, and, and obviously his, his whole perspective was kind of like, nope, you know, I'm not going to put anything on the, my reputation on the line for this, you know, which makes total sense. But yeah, there's just so many characters or Mark Merrill, like you said, you know, being coming from having a boxing background and like these other guys. And there's probably so many folks we could have talked to for this episode because it involves so many intersecting stories. But we just had to make some decisions at the end of the day. It was like, you know, who obviously with, you know, Bart and the Godfather, they kind of, you know, made it to the final four, um, actually draws did too, like draws, you know, and they all kind of made it to that, 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 that final position. So, you know, had we had been able to get JBL, it, you know, it sort of would have been, you know, having the final four as like the people that we would have been talking to. Um, so yeah, it was just, yeah. So that was kind of the thought process, but yeah, there's so many people we could have talked to, but no one, no one declined to participate. Man, I hope you guys can put us, put a camera in front of Bob Holly sometime. That dude is a walking quote machine. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Jason, yeah. when you watched the show last night, any regrets, any, uh, any stones unturned for you, or are you pretty proud of the way uh, brawl for all came together? I think I'm pretty proud of how it came together. Um, yeah. Just considering that, like, like we were saying before, there was a time where we thought it was dead and that like we were, this episode was going to be on the cutting room floor. And then to like resurrect it and, you know, see it on television last night. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I want to mention just two, two bits of feedback that we got, um, on social media last night that, or, or just two things that popped up. One was new Jack's live tweeting of the brawl for all episode, which I don't know if Conrad, you saw that. Yeah. It's wild. The funniest, I almost like, I was laughing so hard when I saw New Jack retweet the gif of Mantar. <laughs> and this yeah, was like, so what the fuck is the this? First time, yeah. 
yeah, he's like, what is this? <laughs> and it was New Jack's first like reaction to Mantar. Uh, it was amazing. Um, <clears throat> so that was incredible. Um, and he was like, he's like, this guy be mooing or something is what he said. <laughs> um, but also one thing I just want to highlight is a message I got last night is from a, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, John Pierre Marini. Uh, I, I guess he must have worked uh, for Vince at some point in time in, within the last 15, 10, 15 years. And he, he, he wrote in, um, incredible job with both seasons. He's like, funny story. While on creative in either 2009 or 2010, Vince wanted to do another brawl for all with the guys competing on NXT. Uh, in its original format, he had to be talked out of it. <laughs> so oh My gosh. We might have seen a brawl for all two uh, on NXT. <laughs> well, I'm glad we didn't, but I am glad that next week uh, the dark side of the ring continues. It's all about Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Jason, give us a tease. What are we in store for next week on Dark Side of the Ring? Tuesday night at 10 Eastern. Uh, yeah, um, this is a story that's kind of, I guess, you know, been in the background. Um, in some cases, haunted the wrestling world for, I guess, like over. 30 years now um it's a story about um jimmy jimmy uh, superfly snooker who at the time in the early 80s was a massive draw for the wwe and one night um while on the road traveling to town uh his girlfriend uh was found unconscious in her hotel room and um and uh, she later on passed away. And there's been a lot of controversy over the years as to like what happened on that night. And it's been a, a, kind of a mystery and an unsolved case that has lived on all these years. And so we try to give a voice uh, to everyone involved in it. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know, this is, I guess, in a lot of ways, um, our uh, like the more true crime like episode in the season, would you say, Evan? Yeah, I, I just will say that it's definitely one of the more complicated stories that we've ever tackled in terms of because um, it involves an incident that occurred in 1983. Um, and then as you know, the case resurfaced 30 years later in 2013 via um, some new um, investigative reporting that was done. And uh, which, you know, later went to trial and and even with kind of just the us having an hour of television. Again, it's another story that you easily could have broken out into two hours. It's a massive story and involves maybe the most interviews we have, I think, or we've done yeah. for one for one particular episode. Um, and it, it's it's a very dizzying um, story in terms of, you know, trying to piece together what happened in 1983, um, you know, based on a lot of different factors and then looking at how it was re-examined re and what it all means and legacy. And yeah, it's a very complicated story and uh, one of the more challenging ones that we, uh, you know, put together. So going to be interesting to see uh, what people think afterwards. Well, we'll be here the day after to break it down. Hope you guys have enjoyed dark side of the ring. If you'd like to uh, please follow the guys, Evan, do you want to go ahead and give you guys official social media accounts one more time here on the show? Sure. Yeah. You can follow, uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Evan Husney, my name. Uh, and you can also follow Jason at Jason Eisner on both Twitter and Instagram. And then you can follow the show, uh, on Twitter at dark side of ring and, uh, or at dark side of the ring on Instagram. And yeah, we're always posting stuff. We'll post some more behind the scenes stuff. 
from Brawl for All and more photos and yeah, and, and, and tell us what you thought. Tell us what you think of the show. And, um, and uh, of course, next week's show, I'm sure, you know, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of discussion following that. Can't wait. Stay tuned. It's every Tuesday night at 10 PM Eastern on vice and, uh, check your local listings, but it's on channel 271 for direct TV. And, uh, I think it's also on the vice app. And there may be some more of these coming out on YouTube. Have you heard any new updates on that, Jason? It's our number one request. Oh, really? I haven't heard anything about <laughs> any more yeah. episodes going to YouTube, but I, I would love if that happened. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> maybe, maybe eventually, but I think, uh, yeah, they're, they're probably trying to drive people to towards the app and towards places where there's at more advertising. I don't know, but yeah, I haven't heard anything about YouTube. Well, there you go, folks. It's our number one question, and there's the answer. We're not really sure, but one thing we are sure about is next Wednesday, we'll be here to talk about the Superfly Snooker episode. Don't miss it. Next Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern on Vice, or check the Vice app, which I believe is available everywhere. Uh, check it out in the App Store. We'll see you next week right here on Dark Side of the Podcast. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. What made you come to Save With Conrad in the first place? Uh, I was looking um, to buy my my mother's house, and I was dealing with some local, you know, banks and mortgage companies, and I was just shopping around. and I I do listen to all of the podcasts, and uh, you know, I constantly hear it. So I I figured, you know, let me see what these guys have to to offer. Now, uh, working with Derek, um, what was your favorite part about working with him? Uh, he, it was like he was around the corner. You know, if I if I needed something and I called him or I texted him or sent an email, I would get a response. Like I was dealing with someone across town, not you know from New Jersey to Alabama. How much money were we able to save you? You know, we definitely saved thousands of dollars. You know, going with um, you know Conrad and and Derek, you know, helping us out from what I was dealing with with uh, you know what I was hearing from other mortgage companies. They, you know first family was able to get us a better deal on the house. Would you recommend us to a friend or a coworker? Absolutely. would recommend you guys in a heartbeat. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.